Let's pray. Father, we uh, lift up Josiah Venture to you and Mel and the Ellenwoods and just ask your blessing on their ministry, the ministry of Josiah Venture, and we pray that there be many, many, many Josiahs raised up to impact their culture for the kingdom of God, that you would bring light into dark, dark places, that the gospel would go forth and be known and be preached boldly by uh, those that are in ministry and those that are being changed through that ministry, that people would get so excited about who you are, your great love for them, and your salvation that is available to any who call on you. God, I just I just pray that you would fill them up with your spirit for the, all the Ellenwoods, that you would just fill them up and make them so effective in what they're doing for the kingdom of God. Um, God, as we transition into a time of looking at your word, I pray that, that the, the same kind of spirit would continue, that is, that we keep worshiping, only worshiping now in the way that we respond to what is written in the book, the book that, uh, that, that orders our life around kingdom priorities, not our priorities, the book that shows us what salvation truly is and, and, doesn't, and doesn't look at what the world offers as a temporary solution to an eternal problem. Uh, God, help us see the greatness of your salvation this morning as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so a while back, I, we, we cut the cable. You know what that means, right? You know, you're done with paying cable for TV. And so now we use these, uh, these, uh, antenna, rabbit ears sort of things. And, uh, you know, there's good and bad with that. The good is I don't have any monthly bill coming to watch TV. I kind of like that. Uh, on the negative side, I'm watching my favorite show, and it's at the crucial moment, and it freezes, you know? And I'm looking at Christy, she's looking at me, and, and, and we want to start yelling, and the kids are in bed, we don't want to wake them up, and we're just, you know, what are you going to do? Or your favorite team's about to score, and it just, it just goes fuzzy for a minute, you know? Um, so that happens, and uh, it can be frustrating, but it's always those, it always seems like it's those moments when, when you're holding your breath, and that's when it acts up. I don't know how that is or why that is. But I think on, on a cosmic level, what we're going to look at this morning is, is like, we, we did seals one through six, right? Seals one through six were like four horsemen and, and the martyrs in the altar, you know, and, and they're praying. And then the sixth seal is like the whole earth getting shaken, right? And then you're like, I'm ready for the seventh seal. And instead it's like, pause, time out, you know, we're going to have a vision of God's people before we move on. So then we get the vision of God's people and then it's time for the seventh seal, and again, it's very interesting how this all goes down. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Now, if you've studied the seals, you know where I'm going with this. If you haven't, then you get to be surprised and, and see this and go, wow, this is, this is kind of fun. It's kind of shocking. Revelation chapter 8. So, we're done talking about the people of God from from last week, Revelation 7, and, and now we're back to the seventh seal. We had a little nice interlude to tell us what the people of God are doing during the seven-year tribulation that ends the world. And so now we're back on track with, with the seals. And so you have verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven 
for about half an hour. I mean, it's like we've built up. Seven is the number of completeness. You know, seven is perfection. It's God's number. This is it. Seven seal and you get silence. Silence. So verse two, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, uh, there are notes in your bulletin. You can pull those out and follow along if you'd like. That's always helpful. Um, Revelation 8 trumpets are coming but right now a seventh seal it seems like then the seventh seal on that scroll that Jesus is able to open introduces the seven trumpets because you've got these seven angels with the trumpets and they're preparing to blow the trumpets and introduce seven more judgments on earth but before that happens there's just this silence for, for about half an hour, John thinks, about half an hour in heaven, there's just silence. But there is something that might create noise in the middle to break up that silence. Did you see what it was? Prayer. It was prayer. That the angel goes over to the altar and, and, and he has this incense, which it says, this is the prayer's of the saints. The prayers of the saints are happening in this silent half an hour in heaven. I'm thinking if you're in the early church, first century church, and you're reading this, you're hearing this letter being read to you, you're thinking about this going, this is about our prayers. Seal 7 is teaching the church something about prayer. Well, let's look at really briefly three images for these prayers and see what they mean okay what we're what the church is supposed to get from this um first of all number one uh is silence it's silence um god listens to our prayers it's like everything goes silent and now you can just focus in on what the people of god are saying to their lord and savior what they're saying to their father silence Let's listen to the prayers. You know, 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He's listening to his people pray. So there's silence. And then there's this incense, right? There's incense. Now, incense was burned in front of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, right? So, so people didn't go to church. You know, they, they went to, to, to a centralized location. All the people of God would come here. It's the tabernacle. And then there was the holy place. And then there was like the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't go in there, right? Not even the priest could go in there once a year, you know? And, and in front of the Holy of Holies in the other room was this altar of incense, it, it, was, it was the object of furniture closest to the Ark of the Covenant. And the incense symbolizes the prayers of God's people. In fact, uh, that's what the psalmist says. Psalm 141, verse 2. My prayer, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. The idea is 
prayers rise up to God the way incense does, and they are a sweet smell to God. It's saying that when God thinks about our prayers, as he's listening to them, they're sweet. They're just sweet. He he loves it. He loves it. Do you ever give someone a hug in your family and and you can just smell the way that they smell, you know, and you just you just hold them and and you think this is this is beautiful. And that's God. When when we talk to him, he's like, this is this is so sweet to me. And, And then you've got fire. Then you've got fire, right? The angel goes over to the altar, you know, and and fills it with fire. That's verse 5. And hurls it down to the earth. Fire. Meaning God answers our prayers in powerful, powerful ways. The fire comes as a a direct result of the prayers of the saints. Now, um, this reminds us of a, of a really cool story. It's a Christmas story. Uh, Luke one eleven. You remember Zechariah, who who who, who was going to have a ch- didn't have a child yet, and they're praying. And, and Luke one eleven. It says the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. Like he's in he's in the holy place, right? He's a priest. He's in the holy place. And guess where he's standing? Check out the verse. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Now, Zechariah had a little bit of doubt over that. He, he kind of wrestled with that a little bit. But, but the fact is, he's standing by the altar of incense, symbolizing prayer. And the angel says, yeah, Zechariah, God heard your prayer. Your wife's having a son. Because God's powerful like that. God's powerful like that. And so uh, I, I believe the church is supposed to read the seventh seal and go, God wants to listen to us. And what an amazing thing that is. Because you think about, you think about how loud it is in heaven, right? We spent, we spent a whole Sunday talking about that. You know, it, the angels are singing. The, the elders are, are, are worshiping. The, the four creatures are doing the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you're talking about how the, wor- the Lamb's worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And it's so loud in there. And then it's like, no, no. God's like, let's keep it quiet. I just want to hear my people talk to me. I mean, the God who deserves all praise and glory forever, 24-7, not a moment where he doesn't deserve to hear all that, and he says, shh, just, just, you know, I, I think it's like, if you're a parent and you've had little kids, don't, don't you just love to hear the first words? You know, I mean, it's not like, I mean, I mean, Grayson's like saying dada. And he also says mama too, but that's beside the point. He says dada. And, and it's like, suddenly it's like, be quiet. Listen, you know, the first time he does, it's like, it's like, just nobody talk quiet. I don't want to hear anybody else. I just want to hear him try to say a word. Now I know what the English language sounds like. I know what dada sounds like. And I know that that's easy to say. People tell me it's easier to say dada than mama because of the way the words are formed. I don't care. I just want to hear it. So be quiet. Um, and it's like, if, if we feel like that with our kids, just think of how God 
feels when we talk to him. Just think about that. That he wants to hear us and he silences his own praise to hear us talk. I don't know if I've got anything that good to say to him, but he wants to hear it. He wants to hear it. My my words don't even, I don't even feel like they're going to match the elders' words or the four creatures in heaven. My words don't match theirs. But, But here's God saying, I want you to talk to me. I want you to talk to me. I'm listening. All right. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets. So things are about about to get a lot hotter, and I want to deal with that as well this morning. Uh, If you would look at verse 6 with me. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. A second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters and that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. I mean, it's like you're reading this and you're going, you're going, this is bad. I mean, you've got, you've got uh, um, trumpets, you've got judgments on a, a huge scale. It reminds us of the plagues on Egypt, doesn't it? You know, like, like darkness, right? Waters turning to blood. I mean, I think you're supposed to read this and think, this reminds me of Israel while they were in captivity in Egypt. All, all these crazy things happening. And yet, and yet this eagle says, what's about to come is even worse. It's even worse. Here's the worse. These are the, these are the three woes. We're only going to get to two of them, though, today. The fifth angel, verses chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions from the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses preparing for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like, like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. 
They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions. In their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and as I heard, I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Their heads of, the heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which to inflict injury. Now, the next verse comments on all of this stuff and, and the response of people to these, these incredibly terrifying judgments. This is the response of mankind, verse 20. The rest of that mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The woes, and we haven't hit the seventh trumpet, by the way, and we won't do that this morning because it's still to come, but the first two woes, you see, you see spiritual evil on, on, on an unprecedented scale. You see these fallen angels released, you see abaddoned or, or the destroyer doing this destroying work on earth. And it's kind of like God is, is saying, it's kind of like God is letting evil have its day. I mean, I'm not saying he's not restraining it at all, but it seems very unrestrained in this passage. It seems like if, if we today were to experience the full force of spiritual evil, if demons could do whatever they wanted, it might look a little bit like this. And so God is holding them back for us until the time of judgment on the earth. There is a restraining power in place. But this is as bad as it could be. This is as bad as it could be. Some have looked at these images and thought that the horses with the tails and, 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 the, and the damage they inflict sound, sound a little bit like modern military machinery, you know. Perhaps, perhaps these aren't demonic horses. Perhaps, they're, perhaps they are more modern military and John's just struggling to, to write down what he sees. However you want to interpret that. But, but there is war on a huge scale on earth and it is being fueled by Satan and his demons. And then, as crazy as that all is, the first six trumpets conclude with something equally crazy and remarkable. And, and just, and just we, how do you understand this? The people on earth don't repent. They don't repent. They don't repent of their magic. 
They don't repent of their worshiping demons. I remember talking to um, Pastor Stewart in Fort Portal, Uganda, and he would go, you know, village to village preaching the gospel with some of the people from his church. And they'd encounter witchcraft, you know, witch doctors and, and, and doing these things. And he'd preach the gospel to them, you know. And, and the crazy thing is, wh- whether you're worshiping demons or not, I mean, it's crazy to think the people that, people that are worshiping these demons are being afflicted by these demons. And they don't stop worshiping them. They just keep it up. And the people that are committing sexual immorality, they just keep doing that. The people that are stealing just keep doing it. The people that are murdering just keep doing that. It just keeps going on. And I look at this and I go, what? Why don't people repent? And and biblically, I'm looking at different passages. One thought I had was Psalm chapter uh, 2. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rebel against God? And the answer the psalmist in Psalm 2 seems to say is, they actually think they stand a chance against God. They actually think rebelling against God is going to get them somewhere. That's Psalm 2, you know? It's like... They don't stand a chance, but that's the arrogance of their hearts. And then I think of like Second uh, Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, right? If Satan is blinding unsaved people so they can't see the light of the gospel, and if Satan is more powerfully active at this time with his demons, if they're, if they're being released to do incredibly destructive things, it stands to reason they might also be blinding people on an unprecedented scale as well. The blindness, the blindness here. And so you might struggle with where is Jesus in this passage, right? Because we're preaching Revelation as it relates to Jesus. And I think the answer is, in this passage, Jesus is salvation. He is salvation. Because we read about God's people who are sealed and they are protected from these judgments. They're not harmed. They're saved. And the crazy thing is, these people have a chance to repent. But they don't take it. They don't take it. So, um, Jesus is salvation. Application then is, so repent. So repent. And I want to say, I want to just explain this in, in a few different ways. Um, a few conclusions from this passage. First of all, those that are tempted to read this, read about the trumpets and say, this, this makes God look really bad because he's using demons to judge the earth. Where's God's mercy in all this? Where's God's compassion on the lost in all this? Is he a different God than the one that I know? And it's like, the answer is no, he's the same God. There's opportunity for people to repent. God in his grace has given humanity another chance. But this passage says, humanity has said, you can keep it. I'd rather resist. I'd rather keep worshiping idols that don't help me at all. I mean, in that day, those that worship at the altar of money, money's not going to save them from these creatures that are coming. It won't do any good. So whatever you're worshiping, it's useless. And if it happens to be demons, it's even more useless because they're the ones that are harming you. God has graciously given people opportunities to repent. 
maybe he'll use some of us to help give people opportunities to repent. You know, maybe he'll use us to say the word. Which brings me to second conclusion. Um, please never get over, never get over this, that Jesus has saved you from the wrath of God. Never get over that, that you were a child of wrath. You deserved hell. I mean, when you think about that, that ought to humble you in an instant. Never get over the gospel. Never never let Satan tempt you to think that the gospel's for kids, and when you get older, you get to wrestle with other biblical truths that are somehow better than the gospel. There's none that are better. There's none that are more important than the fact that Jesus died for you and he was raised from the dead. Nothing beats that. I remember one time I, I was struggling with uh, two of my best friends from high school, Christian friends that were getting a divorce. And I remember thinking, what could I have done? What should I have said? Their divorce is imminent. And it just, it just kind of it ate me up inside because I was so close to them in high school. And then a few years went by and I was in ministry and, and I thought, what? It just, I just wrestled with it. I remember I was, I was painting my house. It was one of those moments where God just hit me over the head. I'm painting my house in Watoma. And I'm, and I'm painting it with uh, my friend Robert, who's also on staff at the church. So he's a pastor and a friend of mine. And we're painting it. And I'm telling him how, how I'm kind of torn up about my friends and how burdened I feel for them. And he said to me, well, they need to apply the gospel to their marriage. And I thought, well... That's just too simple, you know, because the gospel's like, we all know the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to free me from sin. That's just too easy, you know. And I didn't say that because that'd make me look bad. So I didn't say that, right? I do what you do when you hear something so simple and you go, is that really how it is? You just be quiet for a minute, you know, and just take it in. And he's like, yeah, they just need to apply the gospel to their marriage. He needs to forgive her the way Jesus has forgiven him. And she needs to forgive him the way Jesus has forgiven her. Why can't they forgive? If God's forgiven them, why won't they forgive? That's something you should tell them, Niall. You know, and I'm just like, that is, that is way too simple and way too profound. Never get over the gospel. You know, we like to joke and say there's Sunday school answers, you know, and it always ends with Jesus. But in spite of all that, I pray that you think about the gospel every day. I pray that you think about what it means to your marriage, your relationship with your kids, the way you parent them, the way you relate to your, your parents now. I pray the gospel changes everything about you. I, I hope that you preach it to yourself. You know, like the next time you feel guilty over something you did in your childhood and, and Satan reminds you of that, that you would preach to yourself and say, no, that is done. I am in Christ now. I, I, I hope that you preach to yourself. And I, and I hope it's the gospel. Finally, finally, lastly, conclusion here, conclusion number three, please don't follow in the footsteps of hard-hearted, unrepentant people. You know, you're supposed to read this and go, God's getting your attention, you crazy world. He, he's, he's allowing demons to do these things. He's changing water to blood. Fish are dying. The, the sun's getting darker and you're sticking to your sin. You're like, I'd rather sin than repent to the one who's doing these things. How crazy is that? And so we read this, and if we're the church, we should be going, am I hard-hearted? Am I unrepentant? 
are there sins that I keep following my way back into? And I tell God I'm sorry, I, I kind of confess it, but I fully intend to do the same thing this week. Hard hearts that have no place in the people of God. This passage should shock us a little bit. What does God have to do to get your attention? I mean, yeah, I know there's no wrath in store for you as a believer. But what does God have to do as a dad to get the attention of his daughter or his son? What does he have to do? And will you submit to it? I fully imagine there's people listening right now in this room that would say, if I think back over the events of my life in the last month, I think God's trying to get my attention. And he's trying to put his finger on a repentance problem in my life. Because I won't repent of this sin. I don't know who you are. I can't point to you. But, but if you're hearing this and you're thinking about this, I'm just betting there's some people here that could say, this is what God's been doing. He's trying to get my attention. And I have hardened my heart. I've tried to write off these hard things and say, oh, it's that, or it's this. That's just the way life goes. It's coincidence. And God is saying, I am pummeling you because I love you like a son. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't pummel you. (laughs) I come in wrath. And I'm not coming in wrath. I'm coming with the rod to chasten my child. In a few minutes, we're going to go into communion. And I'm, it's going to be a reflective time. I just want you to talk and say some sweet prayers to God today and, and search for things, perhaps, that God's trying to get your attention about. Perhaps repent. Perhaps the repentance, the repenting is all done and you just want to spend some time saying some sweet things to God. Worship team, if you come up now. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, help us never get over the gospel. Help us never stop preaching it to ourselves. I I pray that when we look at the problems we face in life, we would take the gospel and apply it over those problems. I pray that when we see our sin, we'd apply the gospel to it and say, why don't I turn from that? Why don't I humble myself? Why don't I confess that? Why don't I get help with that from some other Christian brother or sister? I want to serve you, God. I don't want to be the hard-hearted, demon-afflicted, arrogant world that follows useless idols and worships pointless demons that are afflicting me, that have the worst in mind for me, and I just keep going after these things of the world. And the demons love it. Oh God, may our hearts be softer than that. As we go into this time of communion, I pray that you would do your spirit work of softening hearts as we remember the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.